This is episode 77 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 77 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we chat with Michael Flaherty, a film and podcast producer who has been involved in bringing beloved books to the big screen, including The Chronicles of Narnia, The Giver, Charlotte's Web, and Holes as well as docudramas and documentaries like Amazing Grace and Waiting for Superman. Let's sit down together for this fantastic conversation about the art of storytelling. Well, Michael Flaherty, thank you so much for coming to be with us on the podcast. Ken, it's my pleasure, and congratulations. This is... uh... One of my must-listens in terms of podcasts. You're, I'm, I'm blushing, which, of course, makes for great audio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you do your studies? Kind of those sorts of things. I'm from Boston, and uh, I think Boston unfairly gets a reputation as a parochial, insular place because I was born in Brighton, and we moved 15 minutes down the street to Arlington, and then I went to college 10 minutes down the street <laughs> at Tufts. And then I moved another 12 minutes and worked at the State House in, in Boston. And now I live in Lexington, cradle of American freedom and liberty. Of course. Uh, which is a good 12 minutes from where <laughs> I grew up. And I'm 53. We have uh, three children, Christian, Reagan, and Eileen. And a beautiful wife who taught at St. Peter's in South Boston. And following a tradition of both my brothers, I met her in a bar. <laughs> and we were married shortly after. And her name's Kelly, and that's my middle name. So I was like, that's my – because she was totally out of my league. But I was like, <laughs> well, maybe that's the way I get the conversation going, you know? Like, oh, your name's Kelly. My name's Kelly. You have a brother. I have a brother. <laughs> and uh, praise God um, – it worked. It worked. Yeah. And she is truly, and, you know, she homeschooled our kids, and she really is the, the access to which the whole family spins around. <laughs> Fantastic. What did you study at Tufts? I was a triple major because I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And so I, um, philosophy of religion, literature, and uh, Latin American history. That is really quite a, quite a range. Yes. Where did the interest come from? The fact that uh, this is the 80s, so the Cold War is still happening. And I met a student on campus who was lived in Honduras, but formerly in Nicaragua, and told me what was happening under the communist regime there. And so I started to develop a much deeper interest and realized that the first thing any communist government does, which Socialism tells us about is they get rid of the churches. Their biggest threat is people having obedience to someone other than the government. And so that tied into my interest in in literature 
because I love the transcendentalists like Emerson uh, and Thoreau. Like a good Bostonian. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously the religion is right in there as well. And, you know, the beauty of Thoreau is that I love civil disobedience. And that whole idea, and Solzhenitsyn had it, Gandhi had it, Dr. King had it. One person, you know, one singular person can take on the most powerful regime and transform it. And so that's a concept that I've always loved that drives all my reading and all the films uh, that we've made and podcasts and stuff are all about the idea of someone believing in something and people telling them they're crazy (laughs) or telling them, I know, you know, they're part of the Nicodemus society, you know, (laughs) the, hey, listen, I'm with you, but don't tell anybody, you know, (laughs) I believe you, but I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to put my neck on the line. So um, I've always been interested in that theme. And it does run across all of that. Yeah. Growing up in Boston, a yes. name like Michael Flaherty, Michael yep. Kelly Flaherty. Yeah. I'm going to imagine that you were raised Catholic? Absolutely. Uh, we went to St. Agnes, and then I went to Father Matignon High School. But I've been a disappointment to my parents ever since because I did not go to Catholic college. Both of my brothers went to Holy Cross, and my dad went to Boston College. And uh, I went to Tufts because it was closer. (laughs) (laughs) Back to an earlier theme, yes. Yeah, because I always, you know, I I, I loved my parents, and I just, I love being home. Sure. But you do not identify as Catholic now. I'm a born-again Christian with a devotion to the Blessed Mother. (laughs) So um, I'm just following the Holy Spirit. And in 1999, on April 20th, two students walked into their high school in Littleton, Colorado, and put a gun to people's face and said, do you believe in God? And these 16-year-old girls stared down the barrel of a gun and said, I do, and you should too. And I realized I might have tried to talk my way out of that. I might have said, well, I believe there's a Force, I believe there's something. And I'd never missed a holy day of obligation. I'd never missed a single Sunday. And a series of providential events led us to Grace Chapel, which is still our church family to this day. And I always joke with my brothers that one day I'll be smart enough to return to Roman Catholicism. <laughs> but I, I still have a lot of studying to do. <laughs> Wow. Tell me a little bit about Grace Chapel. It's, we've had uh, only two pastors in our quarter of a century there. We had Gordon MacDonald, who's one of the greatest preachers of all time, and he was replaced by Brian Wilkerson, who is also an incredible um, preacher. And what I love about Brian is most people are always trying to get people in the door and get your tithe and get everything lined up and then get more members. Brian's approach was always look, if this is your whole experience with the gospel, you're not doing it right or I'm not doing it right. Our purpose is for you to find your 12 and have a Bible study and meet once or twice a week. And we did. We met our 12, and to this day, they're still our best friends. And one of them 
which is great, was my hero growing up uh, in the 80s. Her name is Chai Ling. And if you remember in Tiananmen in 1989, there was a 90-pound woman with a bullhorn challenging the largest military in the world. And they went after her. She was number four on the most wanted list. And she made her way to the United States. And she became an incredibly successful business person and said, I still feel like I felt at Tiananmen. There's a hole in my heart. What's missing? And a friend gave her the gospel, and she just broke down into tears. And she's an even bigger hero of mine now because I've never seen anyone rely on the Lord more. And to this day, she is still number four on the most wanted list uh, in China. That's how much of a threat she is. She remains. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about Bible study. What does it mean to study the Bible for for you? It's... um, it's an excuse to get together. So it's probably the 80-20 rule. 80% of it is how was your week and everything else. 20% of it is uh, talking about the Bible and, and how it applies to us and really seeing the humanity in all of these people and realizing that this is not mythology. You know, uh, we study Hannibal in, you know, the elephants and all this other stuff. But these people actually walked the earth. So you're fine thinking, uh, you know, that uh, Jesus did not come back from the dead on Sunday. You can't deny that he was born and crucified on Good Friday. You can't deny that he found 12 preternaturally stupid people to be his followers <laughs> and still managed to transform the world. And and to see that, like, you know, to see something like uh, Peter on Good Friday not being uh, courageous, but Jesus still loving him. And it's really understanding the humanity uh, and all the folks. And you really do understand that the Word of God is inscribed in our hearts. And you always go back to that in those darker hours. Um, my son didn't speak until he was five, and one of the first things he said to me was, I used to weekly have to go to Los Angeles, and I would hate it because I, I love Los Angeles, but I just didn't like leaving my family. And he said to me, Dada, be strong and courageous, Sasha, one nine. <laughs> that was like, oh my gosh, what is this kid talking about? And it was Joshua one nine, and he had learned it. Uh in the children's Bible study. So, but most of all, what you realize is there are people there that unconditionally have your back and they recognize that we're all great sinners and Christ is a great savior and we don't judge each other, but we're accountable to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, let's talk about, you've made reference to films and media, Um, and so tell us a little bit about how did you get into films and and kind of the media world? It was um, after our experience uh, with the Holy Spirit after Columbine, we were just completely fearless. And so we were like, wow, we're, this is real, we're going to heaven, so, but we got some time to kill down here (laughs) in this spinning orb and this masquerade of humanity. So what are we going to do? And uh, I've always liked movies. I'll write a business plan. So I got 
uh, business plans for dummies. Because the reason I majored in those three things in college was because I flunked macro and microeconomics. <laughs> um, and so I wrote a business plan. My roommate at the time was very successful in film, Cary Granite. And he was making the educational classics, Scream, uh, Scary Movie, Children of the Corn, 7, 8, 9, and 10. <laughs> and he was looking to make a change. So we came up with this idea that what if we made films that asked the big questions and got people interested in literature? Got laughed out of every investment bank and private equity shop in the world. And literally we were down to our last bit of money, you know, our, you know, retirement money and everything else. And we met a gentleman named Phil Anschutz in Colorado. And uh, he said, uh, okay, I get it. I've heard enough. About three minutes into our pitch, which we always hear. I said, well, thank you very much for your time. Um, do you know where we can get a cab? And he said, no, I'm interested in investing. And I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the bruise of my shin from Carrie. And I call, and he goes, yeah, let's just take a little break. And then why don't you tell us about the movies you're going to make. Well, I was still trying to learn Excel and how to write a business plan. I didn't actually think of them. I was speaking in, you know, these platitudes. So I called my wife and I said, he wants to know what movies we're going to make. And uh, she's like, you, you don't have one? And I said, no. And she said, well, here's my reading list at St. Peter's. It's The Chronicles of Narnia, Charlotte's Web, Holes, Bridge to Terabithia. I'm like, wait, spell Terabithia. <laughs> and spelled it. So then we get back to the meeting. I said, well, for the past year, we've interviewed people from Portland to Boston and all in between across the country. And these are the books that keep coming up <laughs> that people want to see. Your market research. Yeah, yeah. Our market research of one. Of your wife. Yeah. 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 Well, she knows everything. So <laughs> I don't need to talk to anybody else. And, um, we went out and we optioned all those, and um, it, it was great. And uh, a lot of them obviously have strong themes of uh, directly about the gospel, but even something like Charlotte's Web is about a hope in the unseen. Mm-hmm. Everyone's saying you're crazy because you believe something that no one else does. And the final film that we did was the first book we optioned called The Giver. And it came out the day that my daughter was baptized. Her name's Eileen. And she's named after my aunt Eileen, who was murdered on August 15th when I was growing up. And the giver came out on August 15th, and my daughter was baptized on August 15th. It wasn't planned. She gave her life to the Lord in February, and they just said, okay, the next baptismal date is August 15th. And so all three of those things happening the same day, I said, it is finished. And I'm going to do this on my own now. I'm going to be an independent filmmaker, not realizing that meant dependent filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I left the company that I started and um, been doing independent film since, but I've been able to be a much better dad and husband because I'm not always on the plane. Sure. So you continue now to make films mm-hmm. in uh, with a new company, with a new a new group. Yes. Um, how do you – I'm going to imagine you have a slightly more sophisticated market research trying to figure out what you're going to do next. Yes. 
and and I know how to make movies now. Right. <laughs> Which I did. So, so how long how long was uh how long was this process with your first company? Um it didn't take long because when you grow up in the church, you always get a sermon and you know what a good story is and you know what holds people's attention. And, you know, I remember the story that a military chaplain told. He was there for uh, Father Williamson was, wasn't there that Sunday. And he talked about how a plane was coming and all of these German planes were coming at him and he was all by himself. And he said, I can turn around or I can just fly right at them and they'll think, oh my gosh, there must be 5,000 planes behind him. We better turn around. <laughs> and he gave that as an example of just being courageous and having faith in the Lord. And then I realized, oh, so it's all storytelling. And then from there, what you just have to do is be Lou Holtz and find the best wide receiver, the best quarterback, the best offensive guard, and you put your team together. Find a writer, find a director, find a director of photography, and um, stay out of their way. So that that's the key. And um, But the other economics play a huge part of it. So really being responsible, trying to spend as little as possible. But the key to market research now is podcasting. Before, we would always get books that were in schools forever. So we knew kids loved these, and we knew that it was, you know, established IP. You know, it was intellectual property that everyone knew. And podcasts are the best place to test out a story, test out an idea, because it costs nothing, and you find out if people are interested. And so if you look now, I think the podcasts are, have surpassed literary adaptations and comic book adaptations and toy adaptations. I think they're the number one source of intellectual property in Hollywood. I will let you know that Ethics and Culture Cast is available for optioning. Oh, well, we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk. Because every week you guys have these great storytellers and nonconformists. Uh, I heard one from a valedictorian. Yeah, Sophia Carrazza. Yes. Yeah. And she could do anything. You know, she could go to Sand Hill Road and they'd throw $100 million at her to start a biotech company. And she's not seduced by that world at all. And she keeps, she's, you know, has her eyes trained, you know, on the true, the good, and the the, the beautiful. And I, I really have the, from listening to the podcast that you had on Solzhenitsyn, I said, oh, okay, there could be something there. And another podcast you had, you referenced something that, I really appreciate it because it's something I talk about a lot, which is the power um, that the Russians have. And, um, you know, the famous story of Malcolm Muggridge seeing all these people going to church and asking the Russian official, like, I don't get this. What? How do these people still believe? He's like, we tried everything. You know, we turned the churches into museums of communist propaganda. Uh, we outlawed the Bible, uh, but we forgot to outlaw Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, and the gospel lived through those authors. And th that's when I realized, that, wow, there's just so much there. And, uh, you know, my, my one big dream 
you know, which we should team up on, Ken. Here we go. <laughs> um, so you're, you're bound to this now. We're officially Uh-oh. partners. Is I love those flashpoints in history. Hamilton, not one of my favorite musicals. But I did love the song, The Room Where It Happens, that in one room among a few people, the course of history can be changed on one decision. And then identifying all those different points in history. Which comes back to what you were talking about, civil disobedience. Yes. It's the same sort of story. Yep. Yep. History's changed with one person holding one hand in the air and saying, enough. Yeah. Tiananmen Square. Yep. All of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, you kind of described a little bit about the role of the producer. Yes. You know, kind of assembling the team. Uh, there's there's money aspects to it, as you said, you know, kind of budget and things like that. I've watched enough, you know, sorts of things, Entourage and, and these sorts of stories. You know, you, you get the idea that, you know, well, in order to get somebody on board, you're like, well, we'll give you a producer credit, you know, these sorts yep. of things. And um, that's got to be a difficult world for a person of faith to transverse. There's so much curiosity in Hollywood. I've never had a problem. And when you talk about Jesus as a rabbi that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, the son of an unmarried 14-year-old Jewish woman, they're fascinated, you know? And the same way some people are interested in Buddha or other things. So I've never had a problem there. And then once films with Christian themes started to do well, people were all ears. Yeah. (laughs) They want to get in on it. Yeah. Um, So the biggest problem, it's like Chesterton said, you know, what's the biggest problem in the world? And Chesterton responded, c'est moi. (laughs) And that's my biggest problem is me getting seduced. And so it's funny when you mention, oh, we'll give him a producer credit. I have, there's movies where I have a producer credit Never visited the set and haven't even seen the movie. Mother's Day, one example. Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston. Go see it. Not that I have. Um, <laughs> but it was cool to have my name on a poster with Julia Roberts. Um, so, uh, and then because I started Walden, our whole idea was, you know, no one's taking producer credits because the Walden name should outlive us all. And... um so the movies that a lot of blood, sweat, and tears over, um, my name's not there. And then there are movies where I had very little to do with it. And there it is, you know, right there on the poster and in the and in the film. So the, the credits are very odd, the way that works. Well, a film that you're now associated with is a new movie that's coming out about my best friend in the communion of saints, Mother Frances Xavier Cabrini. And I want you to tell me a little bit about this project and and then what you're doing for it. I'm, I'm blessed just to be part of the, the the team. I had nothing to do with the movie, which people will quickly realize when they see how amazing it is. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They'll know that I, they, they kept me away from the, uh, the, the script in the uh, post-production room. But it got some of the highest test scores that I've ever seen, including the Narnia movies. And it was funded – uh, by a Notre Dame graduate named Eustace Wolfington. He's 90 years old. He was a walk-on on the football team, and he could beat me in a 40-yard dash. He was convicted uh, by a nun would visit him, you know, annually and say, you should make a movie about Mother Cabrini. You should make a mother- movie about Mother Cabrini. 
And a series of things all happened over a couple of days where it was clear that God was like, do I actually have to come down there myself and come into your office and tell you? And so he spared no expense. And uh, the film, you know, I think it could win all kinds of awards. But best of all, it's just such a great uh, example of what St. Francis always says is, always preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And this is a woman that everyone bet against since birth. She wasn't supposed to live. She wasn't supposed to make it past one year. They didn't let her into the convent, so she started her own. And, you know, today there are over 65 institutions that help the least of these. And... Patroness of immigrants, American citizen, the first American citizen to be canonized. She yep. wanted to go to the East to be a missionary. The Pope told her, no, go West. Yep. I mean, it's it's an incredible story. And her friendship with the Pope is incredible. And her her obedience. And, you know, when she was a little kid, she put a boat into the water, like for all the missionaries in China. And she she was convinced a lot of times we will try to drag God over to what we're, we want Rather than listen and say, tell me what you want. Yeah, yeah. Why was I fearfully and wonderfully made? What, would, what do you want to do with me? And uh, my mom, God rest her soul, she, she loved the book of Ruth. And wherever I go, you'll go. And Your people um, are my people. Your, your people are my people. And that was Mother Cabrini. And it amazes me that here is everything that our culture is looking to applaud. Okay? A woman voluntary vow of poverty and stuck up for immigrants and made sure that everyone had health care, everything that our society praises. You know, this she should be the president of the United States. She's one of the most incredible people to walk the planet, but not that many people know her. And Eustace realized that, and he realized that film has that potential to be the catalyst so that somebody will say, I want to go learn more about her. And just like one of my other heroes, Frederick Douglass, she proves, if I can do it, so can you. Mm-hmm. What's your excuse? Mm-hmm. I mean, she was riding on horseback to South America. I yeah. mean, you see it like Chicago? Wait a minute. I thought she was from New York. Portland? Uh, how much ground? And she wasn't even from the States, so she had to learn English. And she never gave up. And that's all very clearly communicated uh, in the film. And also, like, one of my favorite people who should be a saint, Dorothy Day, um, uh, she, you know, she could get discouraged. And it was the people around her. And there's a beautiful scene in this film where there's a prostitute who she looked upon as, oh, Jesus went to the cross for her just like he went to the cross for me. There's no... Judgment of her. Condemnation, yeah. Nothing. And it's that woman that inspires her at the end when all the chips are down. And it's this woman that she brings to the Vatican to see the Pope when the Pope's thinking of pulling the plug on the whole enterprise. (laughs) You know, who else do you bring, you know? You bring the prostitute that you met a few years earlier. And it just shows that God can redeem all things if we let him. And so it's a blessing for me to be a part of this project because with the marketing, you're not just promoting the film, you're promoting why people should care about this person. But I also think, and, you know, he's an incredibly humble guy and, you know, wants to stay behind the scenes, but 
I think the story of Eustace is almost as powerful as the story of Mother Cabrini. This person would step out in faith, reach into his own wallet, and do this to inspire other people and to recognize the transformational power of the Holy Spirit and to give the women religious the credit they they're due. Wow. What a story. What's the movie called? Does it have an official name? <laughs> well, that's a good question. The, when you have a great name like that, you know, Cabrini, uh, you know, do, do you go with that? Um, because she did so much. And how do you get that into a two-word title? And how do you get that into a great tagline? But we have a guy, John Blas, who I just brought on board, who's the best in the business. He's the creative head of Pixar. And uh, he's on his own now, and among many other things, he did the great poster for the social network. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can't make a billion friends without having a few enemies. He is a genius. And the way God works, I called him. I said, I'm doing this movie. Um, probably never heard of her. Her name's Mother Cabrini. He goes, stop right there. I went to St. Francis Xavier in Burbank. <laughs> uh, the Mother Cabrini High School was right next door. Yep. Um, and you realize, my gosh, you know, six degrees of Kevin. Ba- There's two degrees of separation with Mother Cabrini. Mother Cabrini, yeah. She was a she was a force, a tour de force of a woman. Yeah, is what she was. You know, and I have asthma, but I can't imagine. We all know all the legitimate health concerns she had. She shouldn't have, have survived. been alive. Yeah, you she know, had a mission. just supernatural strength. And it's sort of the Nietzsche, you know, he who has. A why can endure any how. And that's, you know, I don't know if Mother Cabrini and Nietzsche have ever been in the same sentence before. But <laughs> Pretty it, sure not. Yeah. But I, I don't think Nietzsche realized it, but that was the Holy Spirit speaking through. And like, if you're following God's purpose, all those obstacles, even ones like your health, he'll take care of them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is her favorite verse. Philippians 4, 13? I think that's right. Yeah. That's her favorite verse. Well, best of luck with the new film. Can't wait to see it. This, Thank you. This is going to be a joy. I'm going to yes. be talking about it. That you know, we so appreciate it. That's the that's the hope because Hollywood is you know they might as well be selling widgets. If they see that this movie's successful, then the floodgates are open for more movies. On uh, I know the the Paulus tried to make films for a while. They they made a great movie on Dorothy Day, Entertaining Angels from Hebrews thirteen. But that's what would be great. There'll be more films like this made when this film is successful. Well, Michael Flaherty, thank you so much for coming to be with us uh, to talk about this. And thank you for joining us for the fall conference. I know we're going to be, I think we're recording your session. So people will be able to watch that uh, in the next few weeks. It'll be up on our YouTube channel. And so they can actually see the joyful presence that you are. Oh, great. They can see the bloated visage of an asthmatic 53-year-old. You are a marketing genius. (laughs) Thank you for coming to be with us. Ken, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much and peace of Christ. Thank you to Michael Flaherty. In the show notes, you'll find links to some of his fantastic film projects and to his production company, Think Again Studios. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions.